Please remain standing as we read in God's word. My name is Pat Husky, and it's my privilege to serve the women at, here at FBC. We're going to be reading this morning in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is God's word. Be seated. Good morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, as Pat read. So if you want to turn in your copy of Scripture or on your device to Luke chapter 5, we'll be looking at these few verses uh, for a few minutes. But why don't we take a moment now and pray and ask God to uh, give us his help as we look at his word this morning. God, we thank you for the kindness you have shown us in Christ. And we are grateful again this morning that we can spend a little time in your word. We're asking God that by your spirit, you might show us what uh, your word means, uh, the places in our lives and hearts where each one of us need to repent, where we need to trust you, Lord, and, uh, and how we can put into practice the reality of who Jesus is in our lives as we look at how he saves sinners like us. So God, we're asking this morning that you might bear fruit in our hearts by the power of the spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is Jesus needed? Where is Jesus needed? Now, if you go to a concert, a lot of people go to concerts. I don't know. Maybe you're a concert goer. You buy a ticket to your favorite recording artist. And uh, you. some people who might be kind of practical, I tend to be a little bit overly pragmatic. And you would say, why would you go see someone in concert when you can listen to their music at home in the comfort of your own home? for a much lower cost uh, subscription to Apple Music or something else. And uh, somebody said, well, you want to see them in person. There's something special about seeing them in person. And a lot of times the songs they perform live, they do variations and renditions of them that you don't get to uh, download on your device. So there's something about seeing them in person. Then there's, there's other people who enjoy their music and they're sort of next level. I want to see them in person. And I'd sort of like the opportunity to maybe meet them. I'd like to know uh, what it would be like to say hello to this recording artist uh, that I find uh, interesting, that I like their music. So what people will do, this is what I've been told, because uh, I would never, <laughs> I, would, I need to make that clear, I would never uh, do that. Anyway, so, well, I want to meet so-and-so, and how would I do that? Well, I know what they're up to. I know tonight they're playing at the Criterion, okay? So I know tonight they're playing at the Criterion, because I'm going to go to the show, so since I know where they're going to be and I know what their purpose is, if I want to have occasion to meet them, I would go to a place where I could possibly meet them, which is a lot of people go to where, they, where the artists enter into the theater so they can wave at them. Hey, how are you? I, say hi to me or something. I don't know how, how people might do that. And so you say, how, would, how could I see this person? I need to know what they're up to, what their purpose is, and where they're going to do it. And so what we want to understand is where is Jesus going to be? He is going to be where he is needed. 
And in order to understand where Christ is and how we can encounter Christ in, in terms of how he has made himself known as uh, God in the flesh, we need to know where he is needed and what his uh, purpose is. So we're going to look at two tax collectors today. One is Levi, also called Matthew, and the other one is a wee little man. A wee little man was him. So start, let's start over in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll get up to Zacchaeus uh, shortly. Oh, come on. That was, that's high quality right there. Anyhow, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but Zacchaeus was not able to see over the people in front of him because he was vertically challenged. So he climbed up a tree. What we fail to understand, so often we criticize Zacchaeus for his inability to be tall, but we don't recognize his ability to climb trees. Who else in the Bible is climbing trees? This guy. This guy is a tree climber. We should respect Zacchaeus for his climbing ability. So he climbs up into a tree. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus up in the tree, which would have been astonishing. Like all of a sudden you're okay, Jesus, look at me. I've climbed up a tree. He says, we're going to have dinner tonight. We'll see you there. And everybody sort of freaks out about this, that Jesus would intentionally occasion himself to spend time with uh, Zacchaeus. And listen to what Jesus says about his intentions in verse 9 of Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house, that's Zacchaeus, since he is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Where is Jesus needed? Jesus is needed by the lost, and we need to understand since his purpose is to seek and save the lost, if you want to encounter him, you need to go where lost people are. That's where you will find him. Where is Jesus needed? We're gonna look at two particular ways in which Jesus inserts himself to meet needs. One is outsiders need him, and secondly, the sick need him. And if you want to have occasion to meet Christ and recognize who he is and have him have an influence on your life, you have to go where he is. To go where he is, you need to know what his purpose is to seek and save the lost and then say, well, where are those people? How do I find myself among them that I might encounter Christ? Where is Jesus needed? Outsiders need Jesus. Eventually we'll get to Luke 5, but now let's go over to Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus was telling a parable. Luke 14, 16 through 24, I'm going to read it. Jesus said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So, uh, oh, excuse me, I skipped a verse, didn't I? Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Verse 20. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and the blind and the lame. 
And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall a taste of my banquet. So Jesus tells this parable of the banquet, and the invitation is extended, but the ones who have been invited do not respond favorably because uh, basically two primary things are keeping them from attending the banquet. Number one, things are going on outside the banquet that are more important than the banquet, whether it be inspecting a new piece of real estate, whether it be uh, examining a new farm implement, uh, a set of oxen or several set of oxen, or it could be uh, entering into a marriage and therefore uh, wanting to enjoy uh, married life. So this, these people say, we have things going on in our life that to us uh, are more important than the banquet. The other thing we need to recognize about these people who wouldn't go to the banquet is they've got bigger things going on. Secondly, they have things going on that they might perceive are better than what the banquet offers. The person buying the real estate may say, I've got real estate here. I can provide for myself from the proceeds of this real estate a better banquet than what this guy is offering. Somebody who can afford that many oxen that we're talking about being purchased here, this is a well-off individual. He's saying, you're, you're making a banquet. I can easily, with the land that I can plow with this many oxen, generate plenty of revenue. I don't need your banquet. I can buy my own, and it'll probably be better than your banquet. So the people who don't want to come to the banquet are those who either are uh, recognize that what they have in their life is better than the banquet that's being offered or they feel that it's a higher priority. Who then is offered the banquet? They are described as the poor, the blind, and the crippled or the lame, unable to walk. These are individuals who are not able to attend the banquet for these reasons. Listen, if a blind person receives an invitation to the banquet, what will they do with that invitation? Will somebody please read to me what this piece of paper says that somebody just handed to me? They were handing out Braille invitations. So first of all, somebody has to actually personally invite them to the banquet. Somebody comes up and reads the invitation. It's an invitation to a fancy banquet at the Rogue Regency Hotel. It's on Biddle. Great. Where's that? You go that way and turn right, and they're going to end up in the freeway. So what does the blind person need? He needs a personal invitation, and then what? He needs somebody to walk him there. Then you also talk about the uh, person who is unable to walk. Sure, they can maybe read the invitation, and sure, maybe they know where that is. Now what are they going to do? I need somebody to physically take me to the banquet, because I can't get there. And finally, we have the impoverished person. The problem with them attending the banquet is almost all banquets in those days were reciprocal. Meaning, if you attend a banquet, the anticipated response is, at some point in the future, you will host the banquet. So if you attend somebody's banquet, the assumption is we're all giving banquets, and we're all sort of mentally keeping track of who's given the most and the bestest banquets. And the poor person is that, well, I can't go to that banquet. I will never be able to reciprocate this banquet, so therefore... I can't go to the banquet. So what we discover is the people who sort of socially and culturally ought to have been at the banquet intentionally exclude themselves, and the master on purpose is saying, I want the attendees of my banquet 
to be those who would never ever attend and would not be able to attend unless somebody went and got them. Now we understand a little bit of what Jesus is up to. And now with that in mind, we can finally get to Luke chapter 5 in five minutes. No, I'm kidding. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. It's a very brief passage. And just so you know, the brevity of the passage has little to nothing to do with the brevity of the sermon. (laughs) After this, Jesus had healed several people. He had crowds following him. He was teaching them. He was finally generating what we might call a successful ministry. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector. I'm sorry, what? He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. And Levi was sitting in his booth. And Jesus walked up to Levi and said, follow me. And leaving everything, he, that is Levi, rose and followed him. Jesus takes the initiative here. Who went out? Did Levi go out? No, Levi went to work. Jesus takes the initiative to go out to Levi. A little bit on tax collectors. Number one, tax collectors worked for basically usually in a sort of a subcontractor relationship with the Roman government. Roman government would establish tax districts. Tax collectors would bid on the district And what they would do is they would tell the Roman government they would provide to them X number of dollars of revenue and they could retain any that they could collect over and above that amount. It would be normal for them to collect enough for them to, of course, pay the Romans what they wanted as well as collect uh, to make their business profitable. The problem is most tax collectors simply saw how much they could collect. Their cost basis is what the Romans might expect. And they just simply said, how much can I get over that? There might be an amount that would be a fair amount over that to cover costs. But most tax collectors were unscrupulous. And so therefore, they would just simply see how much they could collect from you. And we have no reason to think Levi is any different than that. Levi also is a Jew. So he is a Jew taking tax money from his fellow Jews and giving it to the Romans. And so typically... Tax collectors were looked down on by their fellow countrymen. This is no different today. You know, you IRS jokes are a dime a dozen, and everybody can make fun of uh, the tax collectors. No difference today. But in this occasion, they were looked down on not merely as, oh, nobody likes paying taxes. They are viewed as immoral and unethical people from a cultural and religious perspective. The assumption is in order to be a tax collector, you by nature must be unethical and immoral. And Jesus, in the midst of what appears to be a burgeoning and successful ministry, wanders out to the tax booth. I'm curious how long he stood there and how many taxes were collected while he stood there. What would happen is you would set up these tax booths within your taxing district on the street that was well-traveled, and then as people went by, you'd call them over and say, well, there's actually a toll for this street. Whether or not there is a toll wasn't the point, and he would collect money. So Jesus goes out to the place where he is engaging in likely unethical and immoral behavior, and in that place calls him into followership. That's where Jesus, he goes out to the tax collector at the location of the immorality. And there he says to Levi, come and follow me. He seeks him at the booth. Something we need to recognize about Jesus in his going outness. Jesus can't be tainted. And that was the religious view of the people of that time. 
is for a religious leader to go out to the place where sin was occurring means that person would be tainted and stained by the unholiness of that event. And Jesus can't be tainted, can he? He is the Messiah. He's come to redeem sinners out of their sin, and he doesn't get ruined by going to people where this is happening. So Jesus goes out to the tax booth, and he says to Levi, follow me. And what does he mean by this? Everybody understood this. Rabbis were, uh, there were many different rabbis, and they would walk around, and they would identify people that they saw might be able to copy their teaching and live in the manner in which they lived. And so you would look forward to maybe a, a, a popular and famous rabbi calling you or your child into followership. One well-known rabbi is a guy named Gamaliel, and he was, one of his students was the Apostle Paul. So what you would do as a parent is you would make sure your kid is in the most prominent synagogue, and he had the most articulate Hebrew teacher, and that he would be able to quote large sections of the Old Testament, and he would be well-behaved, or at least better behaved than the rest of the other students in the synagogue. And the hope would be, the hope of all hopes is a well-known, well-established, recognized, and important rabbi might walk by and say, hey, you should follow me. So for us today, that's like getting the acceptance letter from Harvard. But I'm in. I, I got in. I'm one of the people who was selected by this rabbi. And Jesus was seen as one of these rabbis. And he was pretty well known. And where is he doing his recruiting? At the tax booth? What is wrong with this rabbi? You don't recruit followers at the tax booth. You report the tax booth to the authorities. That's what you do. And Jesus going out to the tax booth is a complete shock for everybody, including his followers as well as the religious establishment. But Jesus recognizes this, just like we saw at the banquet. Those on the outside need to be, able to, need to be brought in. And they're not going to come in on their own. They need somebody to take the initiative to go to them where they are and call them into relationship. Look how Levi responds. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, this is a troubling aspect of following Jesus. Jesus goes a particular place. When Jesus says to Levi, follow me, it means I'm going somewhere. What does that mean? You can't go other places. I know this is a complicated topic to think about, but you can't be two places at the same time. Do you realize that? Sometimes life gets so busy, we'll say that. I wish I could be a couple of different places at the same time. When Jesus says, follow me, we need to recognize, he's saying, you're walking away from the tax booth. So Jesus takes the initiative to go to the outsider and say, I want to bring you into meaningful relationship with God. But to follow me is to turn toward me and turn away from that which has kept you away from me. The fancy theological word we use for that is what? Repentance. Repentance is merely saying, I like to sin. And if you say you don't like to sin, that's fine. You like to lie. <laughs> I like to sin. Jesus shows up, says, follow me. Well, but I like to sin. Jesus said, I recognize that. That's why I'm here. But I want you to follow me, which means I turn from this and follow him. And that's what all he is calling Levi to do. I want you to leave your immoral and unethical life as a tax collector. I want you to follow me. That's what I want you to do. I'm saving your life, Levi. And Levi, we don't know what was going on in his life. We have no idea. But we do know 
he was at the place where he knew he needed to be redeemed. Because Jesus called him out of his life of sin, and he said, absolutely. There isn't anything here for me. We don't know what was going on. We don't know the backstory. We don't know what led him to that moment. But in that moment, when Jesus said, follow me and walk away from your life of, of unethical and immoral behavior, even though it's profitable, Levi's response was yes. What you offer is better than what my life of sin is providing. Jesus calls outsiders to follow him, but to follow Jesus means we walk away from what he's calling us out of, by faith. Jesus says, let's go this way, so you're not going to go that way any longer, and Levi leaves the booth. Jesus is different than anybody else that Levi might have encountered. And we don't know exactly what was going on in Levi's life, but we know that Levi recognized that something was wrong. That he was separated from God and Jesus offered the way to be restored to relationship with God by following him. And Jesus took the initiative to find Levi. I just want us to think just momentarily before we look at the next section of this passage here. Just think about it this way. What are the chances Jesus would have encountered Levi in the synagogue? Zero. What are the chances Jesus would have run into Levi saying? Jesus goes, you know what, I really, I really know that Levi is ready to turn from his life of sin and seek God by faith for righteousness. So I'm going to wait for him at the synagogue. And if Levi will come to me at the synagogue, then I'm going to have a conversation with him and call him to a life of faith, which brings righteousness. That's never going to happen. Levi's not going to be at the synagogue. Well, maybe Levi will show up at Simon Peter's house and watch Jesus heal some people and give a lesson. Levi's not going to be at Simon Peter's house. If there was a big crowd, he's never going to be allowed in. And the fact is, Levi is not hanging out with crowds of Jews unless he wants to get beat up. Maybe Levi will be in the crowds next to the Sea of Galilee and he'll get uh, fed lunch like the feeding of the 5,000. Levi's not going to be there. Where is Levi going to be at the tax collector booth? And so where does Jesus go? He goes to the tax collector booth. Where is Jesus needed? Jesus is needed outside, where the outsiders are who are ready to respond to him by faith. All right, let's look at the next section of this. Look at verse 29. Jesus uh, was seeking outsiders like Jesus, or like Levi, I should say, And we might wonder what motivates Jesus, and Jesus tells us in this next section. Let me read it again. Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is motivating Jesus to go to the outsiders? He knows that's where the sick are, and the sick need a physician, and he is the one who is going to bring healing. Here's the problem. We don't like what Jesus is fixing. So a guy takes his car to the mechanic. He has his car towed into the mechanic, drops the car off. Goes and sees the mechanic and says, the mechanic, what's up? He said, well, it's too hot. What do you mean? He said, I get in the car and the AC won't turn on. Could you fix the AC because the car is hot? And the guy says, well, you don't have a car towed in because the AC is broke. He says, oh, it won't start, but I'm not worried about that. I just want the thing to cool off. 
And the mechanic looks at it and says, well, your engine is, is ruined. You, you need your engine repaired. And then, and then we can take a look at the AC. He goes, you don't understand. I don't care about the engine. I just want the AC to be working. This doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it, it sounds ridiculous if anybody said that. And, and some of you are going, who would ever do that? Talk to the mechanics. Stranger things have probably been requested uh, in the life of a, of a mechanic. The perceived need, if it isn't fixed, generates anger every time. I have need X. Pick your favorite need that you've been praying for. I have need X. If it isn't addressed, I respond to God with anger. And anger is a normal response. There's nothing evil with anger. Anger inside the human is simply us expressing our made in the image of Godness that says injustice has been done, something has been done wrong, it needs to be made right. The problem is when we decide we know what's right and God doesn't. So we say, God fixed this. God doesn't fix this. We therefore say God is not fair. God is not just. God is not loving. So there is a perceived need. Then there is the actual need. So people come to Jesus and say, I need to uh, have my uh, health healed. I need my legs to work. I need my eyes to see. I need my finances fixed. And Jesus says, I'm going to what? Forgive you of your sin. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I can buy that at the mall. What I really need, Jesus, is my air conditioning to work. And when we don't have the, the need met that we perceive is most important, the response is anger. So what Jesus says, I have come to give the sick healing. And we must understand what he, he's meaning here because perspective matters. A person has to see themselves in truth as a sick person who needs healing in order to understand the power of what Jesus is offering. Look at verse 29. Levi gives him, Jesus, a great feast. This is a typical response for those who have uh, received ministry from Jesus. Uh, Simon Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law, after she was healed of her fever, got up and made a dinner. It's a, it's a way of him responding uh, with faith to worship Christ who has given him uh, healing of his uh, sin. And then Levi here has done something incredible. Look at what he's done. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and he invited a large company of tax collectors. What? Why did Levi invite tax collectors? Those are the only people that hang out with this guy. But there's another reason why Levi invited tax collectors. Why? Because he already figured out how Jesus works. So, okay, I get it, Jesus. You go to tax collectors. Guess what? I know tons of those guys. So Levi has figured out, I know what Jesus is up to, and it just so happens. What Jesus is up to is the one place where I spend almost all of my time. So Levi here decides, I can do two things at once. Number one, I can worship Jesus by making him a pretty decent meal. Second thing I can do is I can do exactly what I've already seen him doing. Jesus goes to tax collectors. I know tax collectors. I can make this whole process real efficient. Jesus, you don't have to go to every booth in Galilee. I'll invite all the guys from all the booths of all of Galilee to my house. And what does Jesus say? I don't hang out with that riffraff. Levi, you were different. You didn't use the swears, and you only stole a little bit of money. There's some guys in there that have a real bad reputation. 
Now, what does Jesus say? Well, we don't know, but he shows up. And that's a big deal. To associate at a meal at that time was a, was a really big deal. I don't know how to say it in a polite way. So can I say it impolite? <laughs> I see what you're doing. We'll let you know after. <laughs> this is the only way I can think culturally in our way to think of this is, how, is this. Is if you met a non-believer at a strip club. Every believer who knows you would say this. What would they say? You went where? Now, I'm not encouraging you. There's a number of reasons why today, culturally, that may not be a good decision. But I want that response that you would have if your good buddy said, yeah, me and God for lunch, I'm going to share Jesus with him at the office. Your response to that is the same response the religious leaders are having to Jesus eating with the tax collectors. That, it's that kind of immediate, no questions asked, good people don't do that. That's that response they're having. And Jesus here recognizes nothing wrong is going on here. In fact, something right is. The one with the healing is going to the ones who need the healing. His great feast is done as an act of worship and gratitude, and other outsiders are invited because Levi recognized that's what Jesus does. A repentant sinner following Jesus decides to do stuff the way Jesus does it. That, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? A repentant sinner who says, I'm going to follow Jesus, which means I'm going to act kind of like him. What does he do? He hangs out with tax collectors. Gee, I'm really good at that. I'm going to invite tax collectors to hang out with him. And Jesus has table fellowship with those of ill repute. This generates the response we're familiar with in verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled to who? Not Jesus. His disciples. You follow this Yahoo? Listen, we understand that it's hard as a fisherman to get a rabbi to recognize you. I, listen, let's be honest. Gamaliel is not walking up and down the shores of the Sea of Galilee looking for followers, okay? He's at the port in the important synagogues closer to Jerusalem looking for followers. So we get it, Peter. We get it, Andrew. We get it, John. You're not having rabbis walk by on routine basis asking you to leave your fishing business. So yeah, you got a rabbi to notice you. Have you noticed what kind of rabbi you're following? Look who he's hanging out with. Are you sure you want to be following this guy? Look, I mean, really, I just, I thought you guys were better than this. I mean, you're good Jewish boys from good Jewish families. And that's reason they're seeding these doubts among their disciples. Why would your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's a little bit redundant. Jesus answered for his disciples. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Instead, it's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Religious people are always trying to figure out what club you're in. And that's what the religious leaders are doing here. Religious leaders are always trying to figure out what club you're in. Jesus isn't trying to figure out what club anybody's in. He's trying to figure out who needs 
uh, wellness? Who needs wholeness? Who needs forgiveness of their sin? Religious people are always trying to figure out where do you line up on these uh, tax collectors issue? Where do you line up on the uh, turning water into wine issue? Where do you line up on washing your hands before you eat issue? Where do you line up on uh, pulling grain on the Sabbath? We'll get to that next week issue. Religious people are always trying to figure out what club are you in? And Jesus is always going to people on the outside and saying, I have brought healing to the sin sickness that you have. That's what Jesus says here. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Instead, it's those who are sick. Who is sick in the world? Everyone. I'm pretty sure we just went through Romans. If we can do it again, I wouldn't mind. Romans 3.23. Nearly everybody has fallen short. of the Now, that's a misquote. All have sinned. So here's what we have to understand about Jesus' language here. He's not saying, I only go to the sinners, and the ones I don't go to aren't sinners. He is defining sinners as those who recognize their need. He is defining sinners as those who have come to the place of saying, I need help. My sin is killing me. He says those who are well. He's not saying the religious leaders are well. What he is saying is the religious leaders think they're well, and so therefore, he's not, he doesn't have a ministry to them. Jesus is going to those who know they are sick. Walking up to a tax booth, the odds are pretty high you're going to find somebody who knows they've got some moral problems, and they've got a sin problem. And so Jesus says, I don't need your religious club. I don't need you to define where I line up on social issues and political issues and religious issues. I have come to bring righteousness to people who recognize that they are sick. And the religious club doesn't have room for sick people. Jesus didn't come for the self-righteous, and the self-righteous don't want Jesus. Jesus will not abandon his mission to maintain a religious uh, reputation. Where is Jesus needed? Outsiders need Jesus and the sick need Jesus. And Levi is both an outsider, culturally, socially, and religiously, and he is sick, meaning he is a sinner who needs his sin forgiven. Jesus goes to those who need their sin forgiven, calls them to follow him by faith, because his intention is to die on the cross to pay for all of our sin and be raised from the dead that we might have life with him forever. And if you're not a sinner, you won't need it. And Jesus says, then don't believe Whereas if you want to find Jesus, you're going to have to go to the outside and recognize your illness. Three kinds of people. Are you ready? Figure out which one you are. It's a fun little game. It's even more fun to try and figure out who the person next to you is. In this passage, there's one kind of sick person and two kind of well people. A sick person. Sinners, you know they're sinners. A sick person says, I sin, and it's killing me, and I need forgiveness. I need somebody who will both deliver me from the penalty of my sin as well as give me the power to say no to it. And that's what Jesus offers, a sick person who needs healing, forgiveness from their sin, and the power by the Spirit to say no to it. That's the sick person, sinners who know they're sinners. There's two kinds of well people. Are you ready? Now you get to figure out if you're a sick person or one of the two kinds of well people. There's two kinds of well people. First kind of well person. Sinners who don't think their sin is wrong. So these are people that say, well, sure, I do all kinds of stuff. I don't see the problem. 
The problem is God's rules are lame. The problem is God is lame. And so one kind of well person is the person who says, God doesn't get to tell me what sin is. God doesn't get to tell me what the, the right way for a person to live is. God doesn't get to tell me what is right and, and what is wrong. So this person says, what you have done is told me what is sin, and I say what I am doing is perfectly acceptable and right. So that's the first kind of well person. What I'm doing isn't wrong, and who is God to say what I'm doing is wrong? And what do I say to that person biblically? That's great. You're well. Every person will stand before the Lord. You get to have a conversation, and at that time, you will decide if he was right or you were right. I find that sad, but you're well within your rights to determine your morality for yourself. But Jesus didn't come for people who want to determine their own morality. He would say, you're well. You don't need me. Doesn't look, it looks like you got dialed in. See you in eternity. I'm not being flippant. That's it's biblical counsel. The next kind of well person is righteous people who aren't sinners. Now, this is trickier to do, and we're really good at this, especially in a church. Well, not this church, the church down the street. Righteous, it's really, really tricky to do. So we've got a number of ways we handle this righteousness thing because none of us want to admit we're a sinner generally. So here's a couple, because nobody is going to buy it if, I, if somebody says they don't sin. If somebody comes up to me, Jeff comes up to me and says, you know, I, actually, I don't, I don't really sin. Oh, really? Okay, you and I can't be friends. Okay, so we, here's a couple of ways we do it. Number one is we decide in our own minds what are the worst sins and what are the sins that aren't terrible. And then what we decide is I don't do the worst sins. So I don't lie, cheat, or steal. Uh, I don't binge watch Netflix. I don't know, whatever it is for you. But I do do these, some of these other things. I work too much. That's generally the sins that we do. I work too hard. I provide to my family too well. You know, these kinds of things. Uh, you know, we look for things that are sort of socially acceptable sins. Oh, I get too angry when politics is brought up. You know, that's a nice way of saying because I know the right way to think in our country and, and unfortunately nobody else does. So we come up with sort of acceptable sins and we decide if I can have these acceptable sins, these other sins don't work and I don't do any of those. I don't I drink too much or I don't drink at all. I don't watch naughty movies and, and I don't say any of the really bad words. You know, so those are, anybody doing those things is wrong. Anybody who sins my way is okay. So that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is this. I struggle with sin, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to outweigh it with doing some stuff that's a real pain that I think is righteous. So one of the things people do, I know, I think this is strange, that what they do is throughout the week they do things they regret. I, I know none of you. And then they go to church on Sunday morning as a way of sort of balancing it out. So my job is to make this as miserable as possible so that you really feel like you paid your penance, you know? And you say, well, I'm not Catholic. I don't have to pay for my sin. I came here voluntarily because I feel so terrible about what I did Thursday. Now, I know you wouldn't say that out loud, but let's just say it out loud. Sometimes we do that. Say, so, you know what? I really blew it, and I, I got to kind of balance this out in my life. So, and, and you've done this before. You, you really blow it. I'm not going to say what you did, but we all know. I'm kidding. We don't. So now all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to do my devotions every day. I mean, I gotta, get, I gotta get the wheels back on this car. I'm gonna do my devotions every day. So who's paying for your sin? You're paying for your sin, but that's what we do. Is that 
I'm well, I'm okay, I'm fine. Yes, I know I did something I shouldn't have, but I'm, I'm not a sick person. And I, I, don't, I don't need the, what everybody else needs because I can get it together. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll pray really, uh, pray really hard for uh, the people over uh, on the other side of the world who are having a bad day. And, and, and I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning and listen to that guy yammer on. And, and, and No, I'm okay. I'm not sick. Bad news. Jesus came for sick people. That's, that, so those are the two kinds of well people. Sinners who don't see their sin as their problem and righteous people who, who aren't sinners. Jesus came for who? Dirty, rotten sinners. And that's the only kind there are. And the, and the issue is not whether or not we need his forgiveness. The issue is whether or not we see it. Levi, sitting in his tax booth, man, I wish we knew what he was stewing on as Jesus was walking up. Now, wouldn't, what, oh, man, wouldn't that have been cool? What was he sitting there stewing on when Jesus walks up and says, follow me? And he goes, man, yes, I am in. You've probably been there before. And that's probably what drew you to Christ. Is that a particular moment in your life, you heard that Jesus saved sinners and you said, that's what I've been needing. I need somebody to say I'm forgiven. That's what we're telling you this morning, right now. Jesus saves dirty, rotten sinners. And if that's you, welcome to the club. Follow Jesus by faith. Okay, next thing I want to mention about where Jesus is needed. A lot of times we think about missionaries. Anybody know any missionaries? You probably know a missionary. You read about them online or you follow them on the Facebook. And we think what's great about missionaries is they go to people different than them and give them the gospel. Isn't that cool? Yeah, now I know you're waiting for the rug to get pulled out. Here you go. Missionaries don't seek people different than them. Christians do. Missionaries don't seek people different than them on the outside, dirty, rotten sinners, to give the hope of the gospel. Christians do that because that's Jesus-y. Who was good at that? Who got that? A guy named Levi. He'd been a Christian about three minutes. He goes, I know two things Jesus does. Goes to outsiders, invites tax collectors. I'm good at both of those things. Some of us have been Christians so long, we no longer have any connections to anybody on the outside. And if we did, we'd be worried about what our Christian friends would think. Missionaries don't seek people different than them. Christians do. Jesus is for the ones who don't fit in. He goes to them. He finds them where they are. He eats with them. And then he calls them to repent of their sin. He says, you need forgiveness for what has driven you out, which is sin and rebellion. Last thing. Don't go back to your booth. What do I mean by that? Uh, we get saved from our sin, we find grace in Christ, and then we say, you know what, I wonder if maybe I can both have my tax booth, my life of sin, and Christ. It's not worth it. His banquet is better than whatever we might provide by indulging in the flesh of our sin. In our struggle with sin, remember that we left all of that because we knew the banquet was better, the hope was more real in Christ. Let's stick with Jesus to the very end. Let's not go back to the sin that brought us our sickness. Where's Jesus? Outsiders need Jesus, and the sick needs Jesus, and that's all of us. God, we thank you for your kindness and grace in Christ. 
God, would you forgive us who are believers? And somehow along the way, we got really comfortable with this notion of being religious insiders. Somewhere along the way, we decided the world around us needs to cater to our whims. And somehow, through the years, we've lost the passion for seeking those who need good news, that Jesus saves sinners. We've grown accustomed to hanging around with people like us, and it's uncomfortable and awkward. And so we avoid it to take the good news to people who need to hear. God, would you light that spark in us again like we see in Levi, where we, we hear the call of Christ for grace, we receive it by faith, and then we do the stuff our master did, which is take the good news to the sick who need it. God, I pray for those who are here today who are feeling the immeasurable burden of regret and guilt and shame from their sin. I would pray in this moment, God, that you would, by your spirit, give them the joy of trusting Jesus for forgiveness and grace. God, I pray that you in this moment would bring them life in Christ that lasts forever. Finally, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers today that at some point we decided that our life in Christ could coexist with a life of sin. Father, would you remind us again that walking with Christ means walking away from a life of rebellion. The banquet is better with you. Give us your grace to say no to sin and yes to righteousness in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand up as we sing one last song?